Hi, I'm Latresa. And I'm Clancy. And we are a mother-daughter duo that shares a love and admiration for all things Elvis. On this podcast, you can expect a deep dive into the life of Elvis Presley. We will discuss books written by Elvis's friends, family members, and others who knew him best. We will critique and enjoy Elvis movies, concerts, and music with those who grew up listening to his music, watching his movies, enjoying his concerts, and hopefully inspiring a new generation of Elvis fans along the way. With all the misconceptions surrounding Elvis, we want to remember his life and his legacy. The man, the friend, the entertainer, and the philanthropist. This podcast is dedicated to those of us who celebrate the life of one of the greatest entertainers of all times. Let's Talk Elvis! Hey guys, it's Clancy and Latresa, and welcome back to the Let's Talk Elvis podcast. Uh, if you missed last week, we talked about Jailhouse Rock, and I highly recommend that you go back and listen to it if you missed it, because I was really proud of that episode. I I learned a lot, and it, we've had great feedback from it, so highly recommend it. And any of our other episodes as well. We've worked really hard researching and trying to get the best content for you guys. But we were pretty stumped about today's topic for most of the week. And um, I started thinking back to the If you listen to the Jailhouse Rock episode, we talked about how Elvis recorded the Jailhouse Rock tracks in a uh, movie soundstage. And how he didn't like that. He liked intimate small studios that where you could get this rock and roll feel like he had when he first started with Sam Phillips in Sun Studios. So when I started thinking about that out to my mom I said let's do American Sound Studios. And if you don't know what American Sound Studios is, it was the studio where Elvis recorded some of the <clears throat> biggest hits of his career. It was 10 miles north of Graceland in North Memphis, just a mile and a half from Humes High, where Elvis graduated from high school. It was a small, spunky studio, not fancy, not state-of-the-art, but there were a ton of hits being recorded in that studio in 1969. So, just to name a few, The Letter by the Box Tops. Hooked on a Feeling by B.J. Thomas. I love that one. Angel of the Morning by Marilee Rush. It was not some big, fancy, state-of-the-art studio. In fact, the neighborhood where the studio was located was pretty run down and a little on the sketchy side. Um, it was even said that I read where uh, occasionally songs were ruined by the sounds of rats in the ceiling. So, like, this place was not... Not somewhere where you would picture Elvis Presley recording. But he worked on feel. And it had been a long time since he'd recorded in a place that had the right feel. Now, uh, my mom and I have both read a little different uh, stories. We, we've read different accounts of how Elvis came to record at American Studios. In George Klein's book, um, Elvis, My Best Man... He talks about coming to Graceland in uh, December 1968 and how Elvis was just coming off of his 
hit uh, 68 special and who had signed with Las Vegas for the residency. So it, it was like a big, huge turning point in Elvis's career. He was going to have to make some more songs. But, you know, he'd been doing those movies for so long and getting terrible songs. Like, it just seemed like no one was ever giving him the good songs. Partly because of the deal the Colonel had worked out with publishing rights. At this point, there was a session supposed to happen at the RCA studios in either Nashville or L.A. And George Klein, according to him... And we've kind of been able to piece this together a little bit. He came to Graceland, and he was friends with the owner, who was Chips Moman. named for himself as an L.A. session guitarist and had produced some early hits for Stax Records before opening American Sound Studios. So George Klein, or GK as Elvis called him, who was... If you haven't listened to our Memphis Mafia episode, he was a big part of the Memphis Mafia, graduated high school with Elvis. He really risked their friendship because he didn't know how Elvis was going to take what he had to say, but he felt like he had to say it. He told Elvis, I know you've got sessions coming up. I know, you know, RCA probably wants you to be in Nashville or L.A., but you need to come right down the road in Memphis where all of these hits are being made. It's the feel that you love. You've got to do it. And he was terrified. He didn't know how, if Elvis was just going to jump down his throat and tell him to mind his own business or if he would agree. And Elvis agreed. And they set up the session immediately. And my mom has uh, a Marty Lacker, another Memphis Mafia member, who at the time was working with I'm trying to Hill and Range. Hill and yeah. Range. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. working with Hill and Range and also knew about American Sound Studios and thought it would be great for Elvis. You can tell your what you read and then we'll kind of tell piece what we together. piece together. Okay, well <clears throat> the account that I had was from uh it was on January the 9th, the day after Elvis's birthday in 1969. And Elvis was gathered with several of the Mafia members, GK and Felton Jarvis, who was uh, his record producer at the time. Um, And so they were all talking um, and they were discussing Elvis's next recording session. And they were talking about him going to Nashville to record. And so um, Felton was, was um, he, he, he had become Elvis's, record producer the original record producer the one that was producing his records at rca had recommended felton jarvis because felton had he had a very upbeat personality and uh, he liked uh they felt like he was more uh suited for elvis because of elvis's late night recording and so that's how he kind of ended up with jarvis and um, they were talking about where and how the recordings, they were excited about the upcoming recordings. And Elvis was excited to be getting out of his, his uh, movie deals and being able to record some really uh, good songs. And yeah. at the time they were sitting there, uh, Mart- according to Marty's account, he said that uh, they were talking all about 
the recording and he was not a fan of Elvis going to Nashville. GK was, you know, promoting American Sound Studios and Mm -hmm. uh, Marty was also a fan of that. And they all, everybody who was close to Elvis respected Elvis and valued the friendship enough to realize that Elvis did not like to be told what to do. Yeah, that he did not like to be persuaded or um, he didn't like you had to approach him very carefully when you had when you had an idea that was different from his idea. You did Mm -hmm. not just approach him. So Marty said they were over at Graceland. They were getting ready to have a steak dinner and they're all sitting there and they're talking and Marty's sitting there and he's real quiet. And uh, when they get ready to go and eat. You know, Elvis says they all get up and they start to go eat and Marty's just sitting there. And so Elvis says, come on, let's go eat. And he's like, no, you know, not hungry. And so Elvis said, if you're not going to eat steak, there's a problem. So I want to know what's going on because he loved steak. And he said he knew there was a problem. And so, you know, Marty just explained that he felt that it was real important that he thought it would be a really good move to -hmm. give American sound studios a try that he, he was um, on board with chips moment and he felt that that would be a very good fit for him. And so um, whenever Elvis listened and I guess when you have several of the men that are so adamant and and that you trust, that you do trust and you really it's not that Elvis was against it he was just Elvis was this was the turning point in his career I mean he was he was looking at you know trying to to establish the 68 comeback um and 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 go in that direction and like I mean it was scary it had been so long since he'd had a success like that that he was proud of and it would be really scary and daunting of like what do you do next how do I top it or how do I keep this momentum going because or is is this just a fluke is was the 68 special it for me and it's downhill from here I mean you know he had those thoughts well you know you would hear him say I mean there's all kinds of quotes where he talked about you know, even when he went into the service, there was the fear when he came out of the service that would would it all be over with? I mean, I mm-hmm. think that he he stepped into fame. It just kind of fell in his lap. Of course, we know he worked hard um, and he was very deserving, but but he was always very uh, appreciative of what he had accomplished. And he realized yeah. that it 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 didn't have to stay. It didn't have to yeah. stick. There was no guarantee. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, so anyway, apparently he said, okay, we'll, we'll give it a try. So come on, Marty, let's go eat steak. So they all get up and they go eat. And as soon as they were finished with their meal, Felton and Lacker uh, started trying to get a hold of the studio. And they called Chips at home. They found out that he was at home. They called him at home. And uh, they told him, they asked him if he was still interested in working for with Elvis. And duh, who wouldn't be? Told him that, you know, they needed to get started on it. Elvis w- had a time frame and they needed to go to work on it that Monday. And um, coincidentally, uh, Chips Moman was supposed to be uh, recording. He was supposed to have Neil Diamond come in on Monday and record. And he basically said, well, if that's when Elvis can record, we'll just talk to Neil and tell him he's going to have to re 
he's going to have to reschedule. So yeah. um, he got in there. Uh, they postponed Neil Diamond and uh, and he got in there. And then Lacker got on the phone and and made the financial arrangements on behalf or Felton got on there and made the arrangements on behalf of of RCA because he was still associated with them. He was still working with them at the time. Later on in his career, he did leave RCA and become um, Elvis's record producer in 66 until the, until Elvis's dad. So they, they had a very good working relationship at that time. So um, after they ate and they got this scheduled, they're all kind of excited and they're in the, the groove. They go upstairs and Elvis plays, don't cry daddy and in the ghetto Mm -hmm. that he has received as tracks from mac davis and if you know anything about elvis songs and you know anything about the 1969 and the american uh sound studios don't cry daddy and in the ghetto are very very important songs of that of that session Elvis is making decisions on his own. So as you can imagine, Colonel Parker is not at all pleased because he realizes that he is losing control. And so he sends Diskin, who was his associate, and he sends one of the vice presidents of RCA, Harry Jenkins, and he says that he's trying to protect his interest and Elvis's interests in the recordings. Of course, you know, he was desperately trying to hold on to um, to that control that he had uh, yeah. at the time. And Elvis, so. at this record, like this session, said, I don't care about percentages. I don't care about money. I don't care about any of that. I want good songs. Like, don't exactly. worry about any of that. And, you know, that's what the colonel was most worried about. Oh yeah, that's he, why he, he hadn't been his getting good songs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was expecting his cut at the yeah. at that time. So um, when Elvis shows up on Monday at uh, the studio, uh, he has a cold. He goes in, and his first thought is looking at this studio, and he's like, "Wow, wow, what a funky studio." Uh, I mean, he's he he can actually hear the rats, you know. Uh, yeah. So he is he is all kinds of, you know. Of course, he loves the um, he loves the smallness of the studio. In um, the book, Long Coming Elvis or Long Time Coming Elvis and the American Studio Session by Jillian Gar, um, it talks about how. Uh, the musicians were, they were used to performing with big names and it has a few quotes from some of the, uh, some of the musicians. Reggie Young was a guitarist and he said that he, he wasn't really, you know, they weren't um, excited to be working with Elvis. Uh, yeah. You know, he was just another, he was just another uh, record guy that was musician that was coming to record. But mm-hmm. he said that when Elvis walked in, they were all, kind of taken aback and he said he was amazed at his own reaction he thought man that is Elvis and he said that he had a charisma about him and everybody kind of backed up and went whoa and um and they he said that they didn't realize that Elvis was nervous too you know you got to think at the time 
Elvis is coming off of all of these show tunes that he is disgusted with, and they just get sillier every movie that he does. And you've got the Beatles, the Stones, Bob Dylan, all of these people that are coming out with all of these amazing songs. So Elvis, you know, he had a lot at stake here. And, um, and so, you know, he, he had, um, he was nervous too. This was, this was something that he had as much at stake or more at stake than they did. Oh yeah. Um, But he said, Reggie Young said that you would know he was in the room when he walked in. And he said, you hear about people that have that effect on other people, but he had never thought anything about it. But he said, Elvis really did, that he commanded his space, and you definitely knew he was there. And I think that really says so much for, you know, even a generation maybe that was not as absorbed in Elvis as as, um, other people or the other generations. And you've got to think musicians at that time, you know, they were used to songs. American um, Studios, actually, they had adult themes. Uh, the songs that they produced were not um, the songs that Elvis was used to recording. They had adult themes. They were like rock and roll adult music. It was not fantasy, romance that he had had before. All of those songs came from some perspective uh, that mm-hmm. that came from hard experience from your life struggles infidelity fading love heartbreak infidelity all of these different things and that's what people were singing about at the time they said that elvis came in there and he came in like a kid who had never had a hit he came in like a 16 year old kid that um that was determined to have a hit record and so they were all really impressed with him i read that he walked in and the band members like stood to attention and you know because it was there was you know it's Elvis you know yeah but I also read that the the session here and I think you can tell through all of the songs that were recorded here they said it was like magic like something otherworldly like just no other way to explain it and George Klein said the first couple of nights were energetic and productive but it was when Elvis and the band cut in the ghetto that the chemistry in the studio really became something extraordinary the band the studio band was called the Memphis Boys and they were famous in their own right as we were talking about and he said it seemed that they got even better for Elvis and the way Elvis recorded was he didn't rehearse songs part by part he just worked out an arrangement as he went and then would just sing it over and over and over like all the way through until they got the right take and the band members loved how he did that he can remember seeing the look of all on priscilla's face as elvis recorded kentucky rain with all his heart soul and passion like i just i can't imagine getting to be there while he was cutting all of these hits also in priscilla's book which now hear this song I think of this moment and I love it she said that um she was at American Sound Studios watching him record and he looked over and smiled at her and then started singing from a jack to a king because he knew it was one of her favorites so now I love that song but (laughs) it's a great song anyways but now I always like think of that from her book something else I read was so about halfway through the sessions, Chip's Mama was also a really great songwriter. And um, 
he had a reputation for knowing the right song for the right artist. Like he, he knew all of these musicians and artists. And so I guess he was also a producer for Elvis during this session and Felton Jarvis really just let the two of them work together. Like he didn't really get in the way he would put in his opinion a little bit when needed, but he really just let Elvis and chips do their thing. And he, he didn't really push any songs that he had written at the first few sessions. But after Elvis had cut Kentucky Rain and Don't Cry Daddy and so many other great tracks, um, Elvis was in a great mood. So Chips decided to play Mark James's recording of Suspicious Minds. Um, Elvis said, that's not bad. Let's put a hold on that. So um, George Klein said that he... He couldn't stop thinking about that song, and he knew Elvis needed to record it. So what happened was, when they started talking about a suspicious it wasn't officially presented at the start of the sessions to Hill and Range. So they were wanting to take half of the publishing and part of the writer's percentage of profits as well. And uh, Chip's moment apparently like freaked out. And was not having any of it. He cussed them out. And uh, let him know how disgusted that he was. In a session that things were going so well. That they were worried about publishing rights. And trying to take money away from the songwriter. He he got Elvis to come up there. To talk to him privately in the booth. And apparently. Elvis said don't worry about those guys and I'm paraphrasing because there were some cuss words <laughs> don't worry about those guys you just worry about me I don't want half your publishing it's your song and the writer gets his share that's fine by me I just want some good material man I want some hits and I I know like even my brother-in-law who isn't as big of an Elvis fan as us but he loves to just be like he he stole his songs he stole his music that was not Elvis Elvis stayed out of the business end Elvis wanted the writers to get the cut. Yes, he could have stood up for himself more, but he just chose to stay completely out of that. And he trusted the the colonel and, and them, you know, but but he wasn't out there just stealing songs. No. I'm going to back up on a few things that you said. Uh-huh. Kentucky Rain, Elvis wasn't really impressed with the song, but Lamar Fike, one of the Memphis Mafia, loved the song and he was relentless he just kept on and on and on until elvis decided to um to record it it was released in 1970 and it stayed in for nine weeks it stayed in the top 100 reaching 16 and um and suspicious minds this is really this is just fyi Uh, it was written by mark james which i think you already said it was written in Mm -hmm. 1968 Mark James wrote this uh, song. He was married at the time to his first wife, but he still had feelings for his childhood sweetheart who had married somebody else. Wow. His wife was always suspicious. She always, she always had this jealousy and this suspicion about his feelings for his former sweetheart. And so he was basically at a place where he was very frustrated and he wrote this song about that that event in his life, which I thought was really crazy. Um, yeah. But that was suspicious minds. Okay, yes. so Chip's moment didn't have 
I couldn't tell from the wording if he helped write it or not. Well, he pulled the song. He pulled the song, and he had actually recorded the song before, and it didn't make the charge. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, he um, had recorded it. You're clarifying that for me because I, I didn't know that. I, yeah, he I, had recorded it, but it but it wasn't a hit for him. And, you know, I mean, he felt like it it should be a hit for somebody. You know, like yeah. you say, he had a talent. It was the li- one of the last of Elvis's hit songs that he, that he recorded. It was his last number one hit. Yeah. Yeah. And GK said, uh, I'll put my whole show business career on the line for one song, Suspicious Minds. <laughs> right, exactly. And and two, first, the first session they did ran until four in the morning. And on the way back to Graceland that morning, Elvis told the guys he was so excited about what what had happened at American Sound Studios. And he told the the guys that he really just wanted to see if he could get a number one record, just one more number one record, which I thought was really, you know, here he was with all the hits, everything he had accomplished. And he just, I guess he just wanted, not even he was thinking about going out, but he just wanted to be back on top one more time. Yeah. And, uh, and in the ghetto, uh, the song was written by Mike Davis it was originally called The Vicious Cycle. So glad they changed the name of that. Yeah. But it was a message song. And um, and Colonel Parker had drilled into Elvis's head to never do a message song. Because he said it was like politics. It was like taking a political side. Mm-hmm. And so he did not. He had always encouraged Elvis to not pick a message song and um elvis elvis liked the song um he could relate to the song he had grown up in poverty and he never forgot it yeah but he he was reluctant to record um rca was afraid of it the colonel was against it really believed it because he wanted a song that said something and he wanted to be taken seriously. And this was the song to do it. And uh, so, I mean, in the ghetto, that that is that is one of my all-time favorite songs. Mine I mean, too. it is just, it's just, there's no song like it. Mine there's too. just so no Kentucky song Rain. like it. I mean, yeah. like every song that he did at this session are my all-time favorites. I like Don't Cry Daddy. That's, yeah. That's another one of my favorites. Gentle on my mind. Yeah, that's 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 one of my favorites. I all of them. There were two albums that came out of those recordings uh, from Elvis in Memphis was one. And then the other one was from Memphis to Vegas, from Vegas to Memphis. And it went platinum. Both wow. of those song, both of those records did very well. Those albums did very well. Yeah. And um, and American Studios, I was looking up about it. And today it is the site of a Dollar Tree store. If that is not sad, it, no. if that is not sad, oh, yes, yes, someone missed it. Was a built in opportunity. 19- exactly. It was built in 1968, and it was actually the first location in Memphis that built that was that was built specifically for a studio um it had the 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 flooring it was set up for an orchestra 
Um, and so it was, there were several things about it that I read that it was basically customized as a studio. And at the time when I was doing this research, there were, there was stacks, there was Sun Records, uh, there were probably four or five other recording studios in Memphis. Memphis was hot, rhythm and blues. Uh, you had a lot of music between 1967 and 1971. There were 122 hit songs recorded in that studio. Wow. That's so sad. I was wanting to go visit it so on our sad. next trip, but I guess we're going to be going to the dollar store. There's a little, there's one little marker. There's a little historical marker that, that's wow. there. Um, and that's, that's the only reminder. Yes. That's so very sad. sad. Sadly, the colonel and chips moman could never get along uh, when in the ghetto charted chips name was not on it at first and then it seemed that the colonel and hill and range and rca were going to do everything they could to deny the role chips had played in elvis's return to recording success and like i said chips recorded or i'm sorry not recorded chips produced all of these songs i mean i feel like that would be illegal not to credit him on too, these tracks yes. and chips and felton jarvis had started out as friendly colleagues but now there were hurt feelings and strained relations after the 69 sessions there was just too much ill will between and rca and elvis never went back to record anymore he would go to record at stacks in nashville and back in la and then he also recorded at graceland in the jungle room but they you know the material and the performances were never as strong as, arguably, were never right in the mission. So only time that he recorded, but man, he it was he, it they, was such a turning point for Elvis in his career. I mean, he at this this is when um, Elvis decided that he would pick his own music. If he got a piece of the publishing, fine. If he didn't, fine. If he wanted to do a song, he was going to do it. Yeah, he and, took control. This was. This was a time that he actually took control of his career. Mm -hmm. And I really, really wish, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I really wish that that could have been a start of something that, that he continued to do and that he had gotten to make more choices. Because Elvis, everyone who worked with Elvis talked about what a professional he was, about what an ear he had for music. And, and he basically, people that, that, um, you see all these documentaries and things. They basically said he produced his own music. He knew what oh, he yeah. wanted. Absolutely. I mean, he had an ear for music. I mean, that's just like him playing piano, guitar. And I, I mean, from what I heard, he was self-taught. Um, just listen by ear and could just about play anything you wanted to. But it's, it's sad that it's a doll. It's sad that the colonel had to get involved and ruin it. Uh, it that whole session, I it's my favorite. Like I said, they're they're all my favorite songs, and and I well, don't. They were all they were all the songs. I mean, everyone loved to hear medleys of his older music when he performed, mm -hmm. but these were the songs that that people when you when you um like if you're watching something or even even the songs that were picked out for the the most recent Elvis movie, the suspicious minds. And, you know, these are the songs that, 
that really uh, the whole they've stood the test of time yeah his uh his live performances these are the ones that stand out in those live performances yeah i hope you guys have enjoyed learning about it as much as we have if you um if you have something we have several uh ideas for a podcast in the future but if there's something that you would like for us to investigate if there's something you would like to learn more about just please let us know just send us a message a shout out to us and let us know what you would like Um, we we are working on the fashion we want to make we're planning to make a trip to uh, Memphis um, and we want to do some recordings there, but we and we want to do some research there. We're, we try to make everything as authentic as we can and give you as much information. We need more reels. We've got a lot of things we want to do when we go. But some of the, the ideas we have for podcasts, we need to gather more information with a trip. But if there's something that we can uh, that you would like to hear us talk about, and learn more about, please give us a shout out. Let us know what you would like to hear because that's, we love learning and we love sharing it with you. I will say with the holidays coming up, I work in retail. So this is my crazy season. So if our podcasts aren't uh, every week or Monday, just bear with us. We are not stopping. We are keeping it going. I'm just not sure what our, my schedule is going to be able to look like until January. I'm going to work on her. <laughs> I'm going to work on her. I'm going to try to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to make it happen. I might be sleep deprived and crazy. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast. Please give us a follow. And yeah, I think I think that's all. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Have a great week. Bye.